Welcome to episode three of the Rediscover Your Brilliance podcast. My name is Amanda Oling. I'm a motivational speaker, an impaired driving prevention speaker, and someone who just loves to positively impact the world. Today is part three, the finale of my story. How I went from law enforcement officer to motivational speaker. And this one is learning about forgiveness and living a life that you can be proud of. Life is like a book. Some chapters are sad, some are happy, and some are exciting. But if you never turn the page, you will never know what the next chapter holds. I last left off with how I started to improve my life after that hospital stay in February of 2017, where I walked a fine line between life and death. After being released from the hospital, I started loving my life. I realized how much life truly was a gift. I went out and I lived, really lived. But then everything came crashing down on me once again in July of 2017. I was back in hospital again with yet another infection and another pancreatitis attack. The pancreatitis wasn't quite as bad as the first time, but this time they found a tumor on my pituitary gland during some testing. Doctors still had no idea what was making me so sick. I figured after my first hospital stay in February of 2017 that I would be absolutely fine, and now I was devastated that I was being admitted back to hospital once again. We don't know what's causing it, the emergency doctor told me. It's probably going to have to happen a few more times for us to figure it out. The only problem was that each time this happened, it was life-threatening. Would the next time kill me? My body had technically become a ticking time bomb. And doctors still had no answers as to the status of this new tumor that they found on the pituitary gland. They said they figured it was probably non-cancerous, but they couldn't say for sure. Specialists came to see me in the hospital. It was so frustrating that they all had the same response. We don't know why you're getting sick. We don't know what's causing it. We have no answers. We'll run more tests. Five days later, I was finally discharged from hospital. But when would it happen again? Would it happen again? Because I didn't know what was causing all of this to happen, how could I possibly avoid things or change anything? One day while driving, I heard the song Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. That's exactly how I felt. I had to live each day as if I wouldn't see the next. It was tough. I didn't want to make plans, but yet I still wanted to live my life. In some ways, it was a blessing because I had to make the most of every single day. But in some ways, it seemed like an absolute curse because I didn't know if or when I would be back in hospital and if I would live. That if and when day of when or if I would end up in the hospital came again at the end of August of 2017. I was admitted to hospital once again. Same thing an infection, and pancreatitis. 
but this time my blood levels showed that the pancreatitis was now three times worse than the time before, with an amylase and lipase number of 7,500. That number should never be higher than 200. Basically, what happens is that the digestive enzymes that would normally go into your stomach end up going into your bloodstream. So you can just picture the damage that this type of illness can do to all areas of your body. This time, I was in hospital for eight days. After I was discharged, I met with another pastor. She was, a church, she was at a church in my hometown where I now live. That's when I first learned about forgiveness. She pointed out that I had never forgiven the impaired driver who killed my dad or the people who had bullied me at work. She had reminded me of Dr. Wayne Dyer's saying, of nobody dies from a snake bite. It's the venom inside you that, this, that destroys you. When someone hurts you, it's like getting bit by a snake. It hurts. But it's up to you if you let the venom spread throughout your body by not forgiving. Was my lack of forgiveness hurting that impaired driver or his family? Did they care if I held a grudge against him or them? No, absolutely not. But was it negatively affecting me and my life? Yes, it was. Forgiving all those people and all that hurt was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. To actually let go, to say out loud what they had done to me, to release all judgment against them. I really didn't want to do it, but I knew it would help set me free. I cried throughout the entire process. But at the end of it, I felt as if a weight had finally been lifted off my shoulders. I still had no answers to my health issues, but at least I was still moving forward with my life. But then on October 2017, I was in for the biggest battle of my life. On October 25th of 2017, just one day after the anniversary of my dad's death, I got sick and ended up in hospital again. I realized it was really bad when at first, everyone seemed really calm and relaxed in the emergency room. And then all of a sudden, two doctors and two nurses come running into the room. And the nurse all of a sudden yells, Okay, honey, we need you to lay really still because we have to get this IV started right away. Everyone looked so panicked. I looked over at the student doctor who had been assessing me. And I asked him, Can you please be honest with me? What, what are the numbers this time? I was referring to that amylase and lipase number that I talked about earlier that indicated how bad the pancreatitis was this time. Um, he paused. Um, it's uh, 2,800, he said, but he wouldn't look me in the eye. 2,800, I said, jokingly. Well, I just survived 7,500 a little over a month ago. I'll be fine. I'll be out of here in a couple of days. But the reaction from the nurses and doctors didn't indicate that this was a minor thing. 
There was no laughs, no joking, not even cracking a smile. When the student doctor and the doctor overseeing him left to go get something, I turned to the two nurses and I said, can you two please be honest with me? From the way you're reacting, I don't think the numbers are 2,800. You all seem way too panicked for those numbers to be low. Can you please tell me what the true number is? The nurse who was inserting the IV looked as if she was blinking back tears. And she said, um, add another zero to that number. Sorry, can you say that again? My mind seemed to have a really hard time processing this new information. It's not 2,800, she said. It's 28,000. I started to panic. My heart rate instantly went up. Honey, honey, we need you to calm down. This is why we didn't tell you those numbers. This is why we didn't tell you the truth. Now we need you to lay really still because we need to get this IV into you right away. Please do your best to lay still. Take some deep breaths. Your heart rate and your blood pressure are rising. We need you to relax. How am I supposed to relax in a time like this? I was scared. I was alone. Again. My mom was five hours away and had just had knee surgery, so she couldn't drive. My husband was at work, didn't have his phone with him. The painkiller was injected and I felt that all too well-knowing feeling of my head about to explode. And then things went blurry. I was taken to this hospital's version of an ICU, which was a room right outside the nurse's desk. They tried to get me to the closest city, but again, there were no beds in the ICU there. At one point, I was sure I heard the older doctor's voice say to the nurses at their desk, give her anything she wants for pain because I don't think she's going to make the night. I lay in that hospital alone in the dark. At least this time, I was at peace with everything. I had gone out and lived my life over the past eight months. If it truly was my time to leave this earth, at least this time I had no regrets. I had lived more in eight months than I had in 38 years. I was afraid of what would happen, and I didn't want to die. But it was comforting to know that I was at peace, whichever happened, either way. But I still prayed out to God one more time, that if he saw fit, could he please spare my life? Please give me one more chance? I was finally really enjoying life, I wanted to go back and live a normal life, but a better life than before. Also, if he was to let me live, could he please help these doctors to figure out the problem and resolve it once and for all? I was tired of my body being a ticking time bomb. 
I texted a friend. I needed someone to talk to. Plus, I also worked for this friend as a DJ at that time. And I figured he should probably know that I wouldn't be available for work. Also, I was really scared. I was weak. And I was so very, very tired. I felt like I had no energy left to fight any longer. This had been a long, hard eight-month battle. I was drained physically and emotionally. My friend texted back, Listen, Amanda, whatever happens, God is strong enough to carry you through, even if you are not. He fights for us when we have no fight left. He carries us when we are done carrying on. He is able to make us strong for the moments that we need strength. With God, we don't often get what we need until we need it. He then assured me that several people from various churches were praying. I held tight to that message as I gave in to the sedative effects of the second dose of painkiller. God, please, let me wake up alive, was my last thought as my body gave in to the sedative effects and my eyes slowly began to close. A nurse woke me up around 6 a.m. It was time for the next round of painkillers and antibiotics. That meant I was still alive. I recognized this nurse. She attended the same church as me. She mentioned how she had been praying for me all night long on her rounds and how she had stopped to pray over me as I laid sleeping. I really appreciated her kindness. She made me feel as if everything would be okay. Later on that morning, once the blood test results came back, both doctors came in to see me, and this time, they actually both had smiles on their faces. Well, I'll be honest, said the older doctor. I didn't think I'd be talking to you this morning, but I'm sure happy that I am. I don't know what all those people are saying and praying, but tell him to keep it up. In all my years as a doctor, I have never seen anything like this. This is a true miracle. Your numbers dropped from 28,000 to a mere 1,800 overnight. That's unheard of. You're going to be here with us for a while yet, but I think you're going to pull through, young lady. Nine days after I entered that hospital, I was walking out the doors. That was something no one expected to see, even me. And again, I was completely normal. No diabetes, no needing to take enzymes to eat. 100% completely normal. Before I left the hospital, the student doctor on my case came over and gave me a huge hug with tears in his eyes. When I first saw you in emergency, I honestly didn't think I'd see you walk out of here today. I thought for sure you would end up being the first patient I ever lost. I'm so thankful that you pulled through. The very next day, I was sent for an MRI. 
The doctors figured that after so many severe pancreatitis attacks, there may not be much left of my pancreas, especially since that large portion had died in the first episode in February 2017. They also wanted to check on that tumor on my pituitary gland to see if it was growing or shrinking or what was going on there. A week later, I went to see my family doctor to get the results from that MRI. As he looked at the computer screen, he said he needed to double check that he had the right results for the right patient. That could either be good or bad. I sat there nervously waiting. Turns out the report surprisingly came back saying that the pancreas had completely regenerated itself. It looked brand new. I have no explanation for that and no doctor has been able to explain that either. And the tumor on my pituitary gland had shrunk to the point that it was hardly noticeable at all. And they finally diagnosed the problem. The gallbladder was extremely swollen. So they figured that that would most likely be the problem. I was scheduled for an endoscope the following week, which means they put a camera down your throat to see what's going on. They wanted to double check to see if that would be a possible solution to end all of this. After that endoscope took place, the surgeon told me that in fact he did recommend that they try taking the gallbladder out to see if that changed anything, if that would relieve this pattern. But he said it could be a six-month wait for surgery. I turned to him and I said, I don't think I have six months to live, sir. Each attack is getting worse. I don't know how much longer I can survive this. My family doctor, upon hearing it was a six-month wait, fought hard for me. His efforts actually managed to get me moved to the top of the list. With the pancreatitis numbers getting worse, with each hospital visit, time was truly of the essence. I couldn't wait six months, and he communicated that very well. Because a week later, I received a phone call stating that surgery would actually take place in three weeks' time. I was so relieved to hear that and prayed that I wouldn't have another attack in that time. Three weeks later, the surgery finally took place and was successful. After the surgery, the surgeon's report came back that I was extremely lucky to have had surgery when I did, that my doctor convinced the surgeon to move me to the top of the list. The gallbladder was so inflamed and so full of infection that the surgeon estimated I only had one week left to live before it would have ruptured, made me septic, and I would have died. I looked up at the sky after receiving that report and said a thank you prayer to God. I was amazed at how everything came together just in time to save my life. After going through all of this, I felt as if I had been given a whole new lease on life. I just knew that I must be destined to do something great. God had answered my prayer. He'd given me that second chance at life that I asked for, and I wasn't going to waste it. 
I started pouring into more motivational books and studying everything that I could. I received my first opportunity to share the story that I've shared with you and a lot of the motivational tips that I've learned at a teacher's convention in 2019. The room was filled to the max and they actually had to turn people away due to lack of space. At the end, I watched and was amazed as teachers started to forgive people, to let go of their hurts. I even heard one lady say that her dad was in hospital and not expected to pull through. She had been angry at him for something he had done years ago, so she hadn't gone to see him and she hadn't seen him in a long time. She said, after hearing my story, she realized it's time to forgive, time to see him before he died, so she didn't have regrets about that. I sure hope she followed through. I was finally on a roll with my speaking business. I was starting to get bookings for both my impaired driving prevention and motivational talks. My 2020 tour schedule was filling up fast. The main tour would start in March and would be through the four Western provinces of British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. In February of 2020, I received the golden opportunity to take some training from Tony Robbins, one of the best motivational speakers in the world. Even though the cost was steep, I decided to jump at the opportunity, and I'm sure glad that I did. The content that I've, that I've learned and am still learning is exactly what I was looking for, exactly what I want to teach others. I dove into the content, soaked it all up, combined it with all the other information I've gathered throughout reading books and I'm still gathering. I find that even through COVID, I found happiness like never before. I became excited and I am excited to start teaching all of these things to you. I was so excited to get on stage and reveal all of these things to the world. But then COVID hit and the world came to a standstill. My tour was canceled. After months of figuring out how I could offer a virtual experience for all of you out there, I feel I'm finally getting close to being able to launch. Filming is now in progress and a few live seminars are also in the works. Details will be released very, very soon. I know there's a lot of you hurting out there right now. And I feel the need and the calling to step up and serve you more now than ever. So while you wait for my official launch, I hope that you enjoy this podcast. I also have a blog if you prefer to read it rather than hear it, which is also called Rediscover Your Brilliance, and it's found on medium.com. I also hope to have a YouTube channel for you all here pretty soon. And that should be happening, we're hoping, next week. As I am now able to offer virtual presentations, if any of you are interested, please contact me at amanda at amandaoling.com for pricing. Or you can go to www.amandaoling.com and fill out the contact form. Oling is spelled O-L-I-N-G. Now is a great time to book 
because I'm able to pass on savings because I don't have to travel. So there's no extra fees on the airlines or anything like that because I'm doing it from my office virtually. So now is a great time to get this at a cost that you will be able to afford. So throughout the weekdays, I will continue to post different content on my blog and to record a podcast as I get the content written and ready to go. And I will keep you all updated on the launch of my virtual trainings. So stay tuned. I want to leave you with a couple of last things. One of them being the rocking chair test. When you are 90 years old, sitting in your rocking chair, looking back on your life, Will you be happy with the way you lived your life? Or will you have regrets? Will you wish that you would have taken a chance? Would you wish you would have tried something new? If so, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to try. Now, I believe God, or whatever you believe in, has given us all special gifts and abilities. Are we going to use those abilities to change the world and serve people as he intended? Or are we just going to hide them away because we're scared? When you face God or whatever you believe in at the end of your life, are you going to say, well, I played it safe. I didn't really take any chances. I wish I would have lived different. I wish I would have tried something different. Hey, can I go back? I promise I'll do better this time. And having God go, oh, not another one. Or are you going to be telling God or whatever you believe in? Wow, what an amazing life. Yeah, sometimes I failed miserably. But I learned and I rose each time I fell. I served people to the fullest. I used all my abilities that you gave me. It was so great. What a ride. The choice is yours. Remember. You are only ever one you are only ever one decision away from changing your life. I'll talk to you soon.